an A to Z of UK TV drama with Andy and Martin. Said of UK TV drama with me, Andy. And me, Martin. Hello. How are you doing, Andy? Hello. Yes, I had a microphone fail this morning. Um, oh. It is my beautiful Blue Yeti, silver Blue Yeti, and it's just conked. And you know, you don't know, well, you can't even unscrew it to find out what's going on in there. So um, that's sad, but um, I think I'm, I can be heard audibly. So that's okay. How about you? Oh, not so bad. Insomnia, lots of insomnia. Mm. Uh, but uh, but uh, so I've been up at stupid o'clocks and listening to other people's podcasts. But uh, seeing as other people's podcasts have been quite complimentary, I'm I'm kind of you know, it it hides my blushes. The darkness hides my blushes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have, always nice. We haven't really talked about your radio show on here, so we ought. Vision on sound. Vision on sound. Tell people who don't know. Uh, the people at Fab Radio were asking uh, for show ideas, and I sort of half-heartedly said, "Oh, I'd love you to do an archive TV series." Um, and they went, "Yeah, do it." So I ended up um, going into their studios and learning a little bit about studio technique. And um, next thing I know, I've got this um, this weekly <laughs> this weekly content-consuming monster. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, around my neck and uh, yeah no it's uh, it's been running now for what seven weeks I've got a few in the can already for the rest of the year and um, yeah it's 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 been quite exciting really people have heard it seem to like it so um, yeah it, it's rattling on well it's it's very good it's very good um, and I'm not just saying that about the editions I'm on it is actually um very laudable and interesting. And you've had Toby Haydock on there and other lovely guests, lovely guests. I, I have this this blind terror of, of engaging with people I don't know. So that's uh, so that's been an interesting learning curve for me. But uh, no, it, it's, it, I, I, it's a nice experience. Well, I heartily recommend it. And now I guess we should turn our attention to our series du jour. We've reached the letter T and we're going to be looking at Tenko. Where are you taking us? Go! Go! And jump. I'm in a kind of camp. Yo! What up? I'm not going anywhere until you explain why we've been separated from the men. Hey! Oh, God! Yo, what now? I felt the left hand will hit me. The next thing you'll do is kill you. Come on. Hey! 
Tenko, yes. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I believe Gosh. I believe you've written a book on this. <laughs> I seem to be starting that a lot these days. I mean, it was longer than a PhD thesis, mm. um, but probably two or three. And yes, I think you can say that this is a series that's been writ large upon my mm. life since the age of nine. And um, yeah, it's been a big part of my life. And it speaks to me very strongly and more richly more than what most is other it, what drew you to it i think it's because i was suddenly um emotionally distraught because my parents um separated briefly and i think it was just that that yeah. raw emotion and then connecting with that same raw emotion on screen uh and particularly of women because i was seeing that in my mother and yeah. It was that, but also the escapism element of it, but it was just felt so believable and so real. I hadn't seen anything that real before, I don't think. Mm. So all of those things, but um, mm -hmm. yeah. So you connected with that, because I mean, I mean, I, I wouldn't like to, not, not being a parent, but I would think nine is a bit young for Tenka. Yes, possibly. I mean, I think it wasn't until I was 10 that I would call myself a fan of the series, but by, by the second mm. series, I was like... I could not be disturbed during it. And the finale of the second series, when you've got the montage of faces um, after the mm. camp's been blown up, spoilers, um, mm. I just sat there and cried and cried and cried. No one could move me or say anything that made me okay. <laughs> and that was at my grandma's house. Mm. And I just remember that distinctly. But um, it does seem young now, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah, 10 years old. But, yeah, deeply affected me. Mm. Prisoners! You will be punished for this! You will be staked for this! You will be shot for stealing food from Japanese army! You! You are enemy! You are defeated the women! Not for long. Not for long! So do you want to, want to do a bit of, of back, general background yes, to the series sure. as a whole before we, we dive in yeah. and explain the episodes we've chosen and why we've chosen them and all that? Yeah. So a synopsis for the series. Tenko tells the forgotten story of the civilian women and children who were interned during the Second World War in Sumatran prison camps between 1942 and 1945 after the fall of Singapore to the Japanese. It's a tale of terrible hardship and tragedy but also of unlikely friendships and self-discovery. Over three series, it follows the stories of the women who lost their lives or survived their internment and attempted to rebuild their lives after it. So, yeah, it's there's a lot going on. <laughs> it's important to say it was created and storylined by Lavinia Warner and that she got the inspiration to do this from working on a, an edition of This Is Your Life, which celebrated the work of Dame Margot Turner and um, the women of the camps who had been imprisoned with her um, sang on the programme and it was the moment of them singing something called the Captive's Hymn that, that really resonated with her and fellow researcher John Sanderlands. And she went on to make a documentary called Women in Captivity and actually went out to Sumatra and to the place where one of the camps was and met some of the people from the camps there as well and there and then realised while she was there at the site of one of the camps that the story had to be told. Because that's the fascinating thing is that it wasn't told because the British were embarrassed about it, what, that the yes. fact that their their women and children had had suffered this because they didn't 
either defend Singapore or didn't leave it early enough, or all of that. But also the women themselves, interestingly, were very stoic about it and they agreed, a lot of them, that they wouldn't talk about it afterwards. So for these reasons, it's forgotten. Um, yeah, but they certainly didn't return to a hero's welcome, no. despite everything. So Lavinia just felt absolutely certain that there was dramatic potential, but also needed to balance that dramatic potential with the responsibility to the real women and children, um, the one, especially those who she knew. She, she got to know them all, and she, she wrote a book, Women Beyond the Wire, which came out around the same time as the second series started. And, you know, she, she had to show respect and loyalty and, and truth around the whole subject matter. So difficult when you're talking about, a, you know, a high-profile drama series. Yeah. Unusual though, isn't it? Because uh, I mean, this this ran for three series, nineteen eighty one, nineteen to nineteen eighty four, including you know, the episodes in nineteen eighty four and episodes in nineteen eighty one. So it wasn't three cons- consecutive years. Yeah. And then there was a follow up uh, special. How many? Two years later was it? It was the, it was the year after the um the, th- after. third series. There's a gap in the middle after the second series because despite it being the most watched TV series of 1982, fact, mm. it wasn't recommissioned. Weirdly, so the public right. said we want it back, and it, so it's, mm. it was one of those series brought back by public demand yeah. um, for a third. And of course, series. this this thing of the the series were ten episodes, not. I mean, when I bought the DVDs, I was expecting 13 a year. I was thinking, yeah. I time it's... to watch 40 of these, and of course I didn't have to watch 40 of them, I watched 31 of them. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of I think it's an, quite an unusual. unusual number for yes. that time. yeah, it was. But equally, the other unusual thing is, um, you know, female-centric, which in sort of BBC terms in the early 80s is, is kind of out of left field, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's a... A women's ensemble drama, and there are very few of those, you know, even now counting mm. how many there are and whether they're of quality as well. I mean, it, yes. it passes the Bechdel test. You're aware of the Bechdel ah. test? Yes. <laughs> so, that for those I of have you. have a flag on my computer yes. here that I can just put up. Da, 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 da. So, this test, to pass it, the film or TV series has to have two women, and they have to talk to each other. And when they do, they have to talk about something other than a man, <laughs> which you'd hope a lot of films and TV series would pass this test. But unfortunately, no, quite a few don't. I was even thinking about this, about Secret Army. I was thinking a lot of the time when you do actually get Natalie and Monique talking to each other, they're actually talking about Albert or talking about an airman. So it's kind of like, mm. I think it just about passes the Bechdel test, but only just. Mm. And have you heard of the Mako Mori test? It's another one. Um, and this is that a female character actually has to have a narrative arc that's that's not about supporting a man's story. Oh, okay. So um, it definitely passes that test as well. But my favourite of all is the um, Kelly Sue DeConnick's sexy lamp test. And this is, if you can replace your female character with a sexy lamp and the story still basically works, maybe you need another draft. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it passes <laughs> all those tests, flying colours, but so much... I've, I've, I, have, uh, I have been watching certain um, retail channels recently where you kind of think, no, this is just a room full of lamp- lamps. <laughs> <laughs> or, um, what's the thing they keep... Oh, natural, insert colour here, diamonds. That's They get very excited about that on the channel. We have Gemporia, and for some reason it's become addictive. Oh, gosh, Daimonique. <laughs> it's, oh, it's just... just 
just a bizarre it's like watching car crash television but you can't take your eyes off the screen yes. kind of yeah so so that's going to be our next podcast it's the, the, the episode of what the of shopping channels no please not i mean so this component of of women was mm. essential in the sense that, well, in terms of the subject matter, but behind the mm. scenes, Lavinia was absolutely certain that it needed women writers. So she storylined mm. it, but she she was instrumental and um, got support, great support from the producer Ken Riddington in that they must have female writers. So we have Jill Hyam and Anne Valerie, um, who deserve a bit of talk. Um, Indeed. Both no longer with us, which is deeply sad, but I was lucky enough to, to befriend both of them. Um, so they wrote 14 episodes each, so 28 episodes in all, plus the reunion Jill wrote. So they wrote most mm-hmm. of it. And um, Jill had worked on Mrs. Dale's Diaries, successor, The Dales. She wrote the final episode for that, for the radio series. She co-created Wagoner's Walk, which is kind of like... EastEnders for radio, I think. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. I actually remember it being all right. <laughs> and she also wrote episodes of Angels, but other than that, she hadn't done much before Tenko, so she was very surprised to get it. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Anne Valerie, who had written for Angels as well, Emmerdale, Cedar Tree, Crown Court, all the sort of 70s mm-hmm. standards. Biggies. Yeah. And they were excited, um, but I think they both were going to push it in directions that particularly Ken Riddington hadn't anticipated. He was kind of mm. overwhelmed by their strengths, I think, sometimes. Um, so I love this quote from Anne. I was for guts and so was Jill. Ken had no idea that he'd taken on two vipers. <laughs> <laughs> and Well, I think to yeah. survive in the BBC between the 60s and the 80s, you had to be, from, to all intents and purposes. Mm. And Jill, who said, um, Anne and I could not have had a better opportunity not only to develop the characters over their three years in the camps, but also to examine in depth some of the taboo subjects of the time, as well as the feminist aspects of the series. Mm. So it's glorious in that there's exploration of, I mean, there's everything. It's hard-hitting. You've got prostitution, rape, abortion, homosexuality, Mm. incest, and racism as well. And Mm. crucially, they're not all feminist, but the feminist component was definitely part of it. Um, And that's an important thing to celebrate. Um, but I think the thing that excites me more than anything else is that Tenko is about liberation, and yet it's also about imprisonment at the same time. And it's this idea, mm. which is a huge part of Lavinia's vision, was that even though they're imprisoned in terrible circumstances under terrible privations, these women mm. found themselves, a lot of them did, and found freedom even though they're in the camp. And some of them after release. I mean, Dorothy is a good example. She doesn't necessarily want liberation because she doesn't know what to do with it. Then I had Violet, another big adventure. Then the Japs came. All those feelings, the violence and the anger that one wasn't allowed to show suddenly all around one instead of hidden inside. And the camp for no more rules. No rules? Not that you had to keep because it was the done thing. Whereas now it's back to square one, isn't it? Anyway, mm. yeah. I also th- think of it in some ways as, as kind of the, the sort of inversion of Colditz, the series Colditz, okay. ten years earlier. 
in the sense that that was pretty much all men. Mm. And but again, over two series of and to, up until the point of liberation. And the interesting thing to me is that Tenko then takes the liberation and runs a whole series with it. Yeah. And what what surprises me in overall is considering how it's remembered in terms of the actual epi- number of episodes that involved incarceration. It's only overall about 17 of the run. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of the second series is all about living in the camps. That's fair enough. That's yeah. Given. But the first series, you actually get this. It's almost like three episodes before you get there. It's two. But I'll forgive is you. It, 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 <laughs> no, well, I mean, I, it, it's the third episode before uh, Yamauchi appears, and you know, and and you, and it's still that kind of bewildering. Where the hell are we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you like, for yeah. episode three. So the actual living under the regime. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sort of four, four to the end. Yeah, of the yeah, yeah. And of course, and sort of maybe the opening episode of the final series, because that's really the end of the war, isn't it? Yeah, the very end. And of it, it's, yeah. Mm. yeah. So you do actually surprisingly. In terms of the overall run, surprisingly few of them are actually this grim, dreadful situation because of actually putting a bit of context around it. And I think that actually makes it more fascinating. I think the interesting thing about the first series particularly is you see how far they have to fall. Yeah. You know, you see you see them before you actually get the... You don't just... They don't all just rock up on a beach having been torpedoed. No. You know, you actually get the sort of differentials of society, you know, where people's place was in society, you know, the, the, um, the debutants, the, the sort of the, the posh, the posh people and the commoners or for want of a better word. Yeah. And they're all sort of, th- and you see the different strata of that very class based society. And that's just basically blown apart literally by the torpedo. Yeah. But li- you know, figuratively, figuratively as well. And you get suddenly all these people thrown together in circumstances that, that, I, I mean, I, I, I look at these things and I, I, I mean, you actually always ask yourself, and I know as a male, that's a different sort of perspective anyway, but could you have survived? Would you have survived? I, I find the mere concept of these camps and the deprivation. I don't know how I would cope. No. I genuinely don't know why. And obviously that's where the drama comes from, because you see how people have to cope in these bloody awful circumstances. And you put yourself in that position as you watch it, don't you? Because I'm, I'm fairly sure I would have been Peter Markham and died in the first camp early on. <laughs> Sally's husband. I'm just... Well... You know. But, um, yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, I know that the, the situation with the male camps was much more... They say much more brutal, but... But because obviously there was that. But I mean, it, it, I don't really see there would be much difference, to be honest. I no. don't think this. I don't. I don't think the situation was any easier. In fact, in many ways, it may have been worse because there was no. In that culture, there was not much place for women anyway. Yeah, they were they were fourth class citizens. You know, it was fourth be, class. It was beyond the men because at least they had respect for the men because they were fighting. Yes. Whereas, well, I guess some of them were civilian men, though, of course. But um, mm. yeah. So um, I think it's important to also talk about accuracy and responsibility as well in that, um, you know, obviously Lavinia had to pitch a format document and this is Tenko, mm. what is it? But also giving really detailed guidance notes, which she got from loads of research to ensure the details of life in the camp were right. The Tenkos, the diet, the punishments, the medical supplies, the hygiene, mm. all of that stuff um, had to mm. be got right. So 
so much groundwork and that really pays off in the sense of truth i think that comes through all the time mm. um however incredible it might seem and terrible mm. but it's compelling certainly um we should mention some of the actors do you not think oh uh, yes <laughs> no i was actually just going to, i was i was i was preliminary going to actually sort of um sort of explain to the listener um how, how we've sort of picked our episodes, but do you want to go through the actors first? Yeah, I think just mention some of the the key people. Yeah. Um, okay. So you've got Anne Bell, who plays Marion, the leader, mm-hmm. um, who is reluctant at first, but it's obviously the role she was meant to play, and I just love the lead up mm. to that. Veronica Roberts, who plays mm. Dorothy, um, mm. who is disaffected and um, loses everything. You've got mm. Louise Jameson playing um, Tart with a Heart, but not in a cliched way. Um, Louise Jameson playing mm. Blanche. Stephanie Beecham, rich socialite, um, mm. bitch, really, but she's there's more to mm. her than that. Stephanie Cole, mm. who's wondrous mm. as um, Beatrice Mason, the doctor. Mm. You've got Claire Oberman, um, who is Aussie nurse. Um, mm-hmm. Kate Norris. Patricia Lawrence, who's sister Ulrika. Later on, you get Gene Anderson. And, um, of course, you've got Bert Kwok, who played um, Yamauchi so well. Um, despite being Chinese himself, which is always an interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that's how it, that's how he sort of got in the evil side. It's a bit like the sort of Danish and the Swedes, you know. Sort of, <laughs> I'll show about that. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, Emily Bolton, who importantly plays a, a character of color. Um, yes, Christina Campbell. Um, and we, we need to come back to that race issue a bit later on. Mm. But for my money, it's criminal that like most of those actresses didn't get some sort of accolade for their mm. work. I mean, I think Stephanie Beecham not getting a BAFTA for Series 2, for Rose, mm. for Rose's demise, I mean, that mm. is just one of the most stunning scenes ever in television and to mm. not even get a nomination, I didn't understand. But maybe mm. it's not a bad thing because she probably wouldn't have gone to Dynasty after that because they would have realised she's a brilliant actress and she would have probably <laughs> just done more <laughs> serious drama. I'm not saying Dynasty's not serious drama, but I kind of am. When I was little, I used to ask my nanny to put me to bed early the night before my birthday. I thought it would make the morning come quicker. Now, I hope it will never come. How how many of them are actually in most of the episodes? Because what I tend, I mean, the thing that I always I'm surprised by is how few uh, episodes Louise Jameson is in, considering I always associate it with her. Yeah, I mean that's to do with that 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 was to do with two pregnancies. Yeah. Mm. So that's why she she's pretty much written out the first half of the second series, isn't she? Yes, because she she had a had a first child, yeah, and then in the, this mysterious other camp, yes, and would would have been in the third series had she not had another child. So yes, mm. but um, yeah, I don't think she regrets it. Although she obviously, no, you know, no. would have loved to have been in it all. And of course, Maggie is Blanche she's in the, the third sort of series, proto Blanche, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Which is no 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 shame on her. I mean, it's, it's, no. it's, a, it's a it's a good performance, but it's it it's kind of pretty obvious, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that they're writing for the same character, <clears throat> almost. Before we go on to select the episodes, I think I want to say something that's mm. so important about this to me, and it's the music and the title sequence. I just think okay. it's the most perfect marriage of of art and and music that I've ever seen, and I just I just love it to bits. And Ray Ogden's <laughs> title sequence is just stunning. And James Harpham's music, which uh, it's just everything it should have been. And sometimes I think it's the perfect storm. And I think that title sequence is is one that absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Did he actually do the cover of your book? Yes, Ray Ogden's so lovely, and he did all the illustrations inside the book. Remembering Tenko, mm-hmm. still available from Classic TV Press. Um, <laughs> he did so many of the illustrations inside, and did the cover, and just. He didn't do it from. He did it from scratch as well. Again, you know, it's like, mm. oh my god, the Tenko Titles designer is actually doing this from scratch for us. Um, and that he also, we've also got some prints that he did for us that are still available too. So yes, but um, sorry, this sounds like I'm, I'm on a I'm on a shopping channel. We're back to Diamonique. <laughs> well, why not? <laughs> yes, poor freelancer during the pandemic. We, we have few we have few opportunities <laughs> in the course of the A to Z to actually say, oh actually we've got we've got spin-off, we've got product. Well, you've got product. I did wait quite a few <laughs> episodes before I talked about these products as well. So I hope been good. Indeed. Yeah. So we should talk about the episodes we've chosen. Um, mm. And why they were chosen. Now I should also say it was me that chose them because mm-hmm. Because I took over, I'm afraid. I'm so, I'm sorry, but it was it was too important to me. I'm I'm basically now. I'm going to go and boil the kettle and let Andy talk for for the next half hour. Yeah, I, as uh... if, as if. <laughs> yeah, it was really hard because for the first series, I really was tempted to choose the the Nelly and Sally storyline because Jill worked okay. so hard to get a story about homosexuality into it, and their their sort of mm-hmm. very light lesbian relationship, but a lesbian relationship mm. nevertheless. Um, mm. But I eventually went for the really gutsy episode nine, which is um, trying to save Blanche, Blanche's life by mm. the production of hats by yes. the women. Which may or may not be called 500 hats, depending on which website you go to. Oh, I know. It's weird that they've got these titles, haven't they? I'll come back to that issue of titling mm. episodes shortly. Um, series mm-hmm. two, we have um, the episode which ends with Sally's suicide, which... Mm possibly affected me more than any other episode of the series at the time and was really i just find it gut-wrenching but also amazing but also terrible it's one of those things where i can't work out all my emotions at once Hmm. and then series three just because dorothy's one of my favorite characters her final her final complex episodes complex episode because she it's all about what makes her such an enigma and I think one of the characters mm. even says she's our enigma at one point. Jake does. Mm. And it's all about that. But also there's a lot in there about Ulrika and Marion and Beatrice. And mm. Yeah. So that's series three, episode six. So we chose those. I chose those three episodes. Yes. And so basically one from each series, which is actually a pretty good way of getting an overview of the whole series, because the three series are individually quite different. They me? are, so, aren't they? Yeah. So you do need to sample pretty much some of each year i think and yeah. uh, so i don't think it's the worst idea in the world i mean l- luckily for me I, I did a whole run through for it in one of my other incarnations a couple of years ago yeah so i'm, I'm sort of familiar enough with the whole program to be able to sort of dip back in and yeah. have a quick look and go oh yeah without losing the thread of the whole thing mm-hmm. and just to say um you lucky lucky listeners that we are going to come back to do tenko reunion on boxing day um 
this year. Just because we can. And also because it went out on Boxing Day in 85 originally, which is a nice sort of symmetry to that. So, yes. And in that episode, we'll also be listening to Tim talk about Ten- watching Tenko for the first time. Tim from Doctor Who Podcasters. Um, and I've recorded an interview with him, so we'll be hearing from him next time. Should we dive in? Why not? What else could I do but report their escape? I promised Judith. Promised I'd take care of Debbie. So you keep telling us. On her deathbed. Now she'll be shot. Yeah, at least out there they've had some kind of a chance. I'm sure they wouldn't. Oh, so what? At least they've had a taste of freedom first. I would seem the only thing to do. I mean... I thought if one of us reported them, then Yamauchi might be lenient. Lenient? After what they've done to us? Words fail me. I wish they would. You can talk. If only you'd shut up instead of running to Marion like some little sneak thief. We wouldn't all be suffering now. That's not fair. Rose would never have said anything if it was only Blanche. Never. You know, she's not like that. Please, leave it alone. If only you had. I would have told Marion. I don't think, Christina, you quite understand. Understand? What don't I understand? Oh, I see. Me not quite being what you'd call British. Something like that. Well, Mrs. Ashburn... Look, look, you all feel so strongly about it. Perhaps it would be better if someone else represented us. Take the flak from Yamauchi. Why the hell should we? Besides, it's your contribution to the group. Which I seem to have done very badly. Oh, but you're so good at it, chatting to the lips. Do you want to give me a synopsis? I shall. Or the story so far? I mean, we've got to episode nine, so there have been eight episodes up to this point. Yeah, so the women have been plunged together in this terrible, terrible camp in the middle of the Sumatran jungle, and they are just trying to sort of, I guess, put together a society and put together a sort of an existence. Um, hmm. I think they've built a sick bay hut by this point and they're trying to get some sort of semblance of normality to their lives but you've got this separation of the British and the Dutch particularly um, and the well and the sick um, so the, the synopsis of this episode as Blanche and Debbie are staked out in the sun the women turn on Rose and Marion for informing on them to Yamauchi Yamauchi eventually releases Debbie and makes a bargain with the women Blanche's life can also be saved if they make 500 hats to a deadline yes so this is the aftermath of uh, a storyline of trying to escape. And so this is as an examination of human nature and, shall we say, the consequences of actions. Yeah. Is a very interesting hour of television. It really is. Not least because you've got this. And unfortunately, uh, because of the nature of the episodes we picked, there's only one of the three has Louise Jameson in it. Yes. So I think, actually, the powerhouse central performance of Blanche... Mm. is a very key part of this episode, so we, we shouldn't forget that as we absolutely, go through it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's pretty unforgettable as it is. It was my idea to escape, not Debbie's, never Debbie's. I planned it, I took the knife, I made the map. You right! And I think it is her favourite episode, Louise Jameson's favourite episode, mm. just because she felt it was it was the guts of it, and it was, it was mm. you know, and she really is seen at her lowest ebb. I mean, those points where she's... Mm. She's calling out to God to save her, even though she probably wouldn't have been someone who believed, but she's at the lowest mm-hmm. point that she, the punishment hurt. Debbie. Back here. I was so tough. 
Please help me. It's just, yeah, it's pretty, pretty gruesome and brutal. Tied out in the direct sunlight all day for weeks, isn't it? It means several weeks. So, uh, at least two weeks for Blanche, yeah, I think. This is the whole, you have to punish... You have to punish to stop people doing it, other people trying it. Mm. You have to see consequences. Uh, right back in one of the earliest episodes, the lovely Renee Asherton. Asherson. Uh, Asherson, sorry. Yep. Yes, okay. Asherson, who plays Sylvia Ashburton. Yes. <laughs> had a time in the punishment hut for refusing to do the, the bowing yes. thing. You know, because, because, um, because of her innate British superiority. Yes. Major's wife, yes. Which is the kind of a kind of thinking that that still causes problems, shall we say? Yeah. Um, this sense that some reason you are superior simply because you were born in Britain, mm, yeah. or, or as part of the the mighty empire, and um, so this is we've seen already the consequences of this uh, earlier in the series, but this this transgression is so much more, you know, more important, if you like, that uh, the punishment to fit the the transgression is so much worse. Yeah, and I think this is the episode that makes you realise, my God, Yamuchi is a bit of a monster and he can completely turn off his emotion. And for mm. Debbie to stand there for as many days as she does before she's released and to look so wretched and ravaged mm. by the point at which Marion persuades him. I mean, I think he's mm. probably already decided by that point he will release her, but that scene in which she petitions him and she says... We don't ask her to be honoured, just living. I mean, just... <laughs> Just to be alive. <laughs> oh, God. And Anne is. I think Anne's petitions to Yamauchi are some of my favourite parts of the of the any episode. She's just so good at playing manically unbelieving, disbelieving of the situation and of mm. of his different code. It's this different code mm. you've got, haven't you? I I am reluctant to obviously in a in a in a such a female centric series to actually sort of just pick out Bert Kwok mm. so, uh, but I, I, I kind of feel it's worthy of mention because he does actually I mean he is wicked in many ways Yeah. but he actually, the human side of him is, is very much played the family man the, the, the small kindnesses in the office that he occasionally shows mm-hmm. but you you sort of off and of course because there's a whole thread in the final series about his trial yeah. his you know his upcoming trial yeah. and the fact he'll be executed and all this kind of yeah. thing. Uh, and you do actually find him quite a sympathetic character. And then you, of course, have to offset that against yes, but remember this, remember yeah. this. There's a scene far later in the series when Stephanie Cole, Beatrice, just can't forgive him for the medicines he was yeah, held. Yeah, yeah. And and you 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 sort of forget. Oh, isn't he doing the old cuddly grandpa thing? But actually. You know, yeah, these people, so many of the people, the characters you came to know and like throughout the course of the programme who didn't make it to the... Yeah. the, the that were because of the consequences of him hiding Red Cross parcels yeah. or yeah. storing them away. Yeah, or, exactly. And so you can't forget, even though it's Burke Quark and he's being lovely and, or, you know... Yeah. And, and playing the warmth of the character, you can't forget that also when he has to be a git, he... He gets out big time, you know? Yeah, I mean, especially the end of the second series. I mean, I think that's what so shocked me at the time when he throws Christina out of the car and he mm. says, you are defeated women. And he just keeps repeating it. And it's just like, mm. oh, my God. But I mean, here you get the fact that of all the people, he sees Christina more than anyone else. 
and he says that mm. thing. So many things, not sure. And she's had this sort of sudden assurity about where she belongs and that she's not British mm. and all this sort of stuff in this episode. Mm. And then he's like, ah, but you're not certain. You don't know who you are. So he sees the mm. truth of things. He has the, the, there's enough writing there that you see him as three-dimensional. But then, as mm. you say, there's also this, you can't forget about this unbearable cruelty. Well, I would argue that a lot of Tenko is really a microscope, uh, an examination of human nature yeah. as a whole. Yeah, totally. And the nature of the selfishness that people can display and the generosity that people can display almost in equal measure and the things that people will do for, the, for themselves rather than the group and the things that people will do for the group and not for themselves. So... Any of us put in these circumstances are capable of doing terrible, terrible things. Yeah. And and we get to see... I mean, the fundamental racism... I mean, in the end, uh, René Asherson's character, Sylvia, is a quite sympathetic character, but she's also a complete cow and a racist. Yeah. And, and, and her character is one I actually miss in the second series. I know she gets kind of replaced by... Um, Gene Anderson, uh, yeah, yeah, Gene Anderson's character, and it's kind of at, at some point in the early part of the series, you think actually they just she's just saying the lines that Sylvia would have said, but yeah. um, you know, you act there again. There's a kind of dignity to her character, yes, but there's also a kind of selfishness, yeah. and again, it's this playing the two sides, and you see it in all of the characters. I mean, you see it in Stephanie Beecham's character, you see it in Louise Jemison's character. There's a selfishness, and yet. Also, I mean, a lot of the prostitution storyline comes from the fact that it's to get drugs. Yeah. It's to get quinine. Yeah. You know, what what um, what Blanche will do to get quinine is, you know, unheard of, really. Yeah. Yeah. On, on, certainly in primetime television. Yeah. And I also love the fact that it's not afraid to have Dorothy do it just for her personal supply of cigarettes as well. Hmm. I mean, I think in the last episode um, that we're going to do today, um, the episode six of series three, um, you've got mm. the bits in the diary about Marion talking to her about how, oh, well, you know how you got it for cigarettes and for medicine. But I think most mm. of the time she really did it for herself and because mm. she wanted to do it because mm. she'd kind of got to this fatalistic sort of stance of, well, I, my life isn't important or I'll just do what I want and it doesn't matter. And mm. it's it's fascinatingly direct and bleak. Mm. Yeah. Um the first scene I really wanted to look at was the ensemble scene where there's recriminations after the deed when oh, yes. they've been staked out and everyone's kind of like either ignoring Rose and Marion or saying mm. nice things to make them feel better. Um, mm. And it's... I, yes, I would have done this. I, I, you, know, you, had to do, you did what you had to do. Yeah. We would have all been punished. We would have all suffered. And, and again, the, the, uh, the Dutch sort of saying we want to... We don't want anything to do with you bad people. Yeah, even Ulrich, Ulrich doesn't even hand Marion the bowl at the at the cookhouse. No. She's like, I think it's such a selfish act for someone who's meant to be religious, but there you go. But um Well again, it just I think it just goes to show the 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 human nature, you know, is is in all of us and, and, and nuns are human too. Yeah. I love Patricia Lawrence, actually. Oh. I, she turns up in all sorts of other series yeah. and I always think, Oh, it's Sister Ulrika. Yeah. And I kinda it takes me a while to recognise her because she's not got that sort of window frame. Yes, you feel like she should have that all the time somehow in everything. You know, she's and in. I, I, that's not to that's not to denigrate their religious uh, clothing. That's it's sure. just that throughout the throughout the series you very rarely see her without the um yeah the uh, what's it called surplus is it surplus 
Well, anyway, the, or is it the wimple? Know, the nun, I never know. The nun, they're wimple. That's the wimple. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so, so it's because I actually, I mean, I was, I was convinced she was a Dutch actress. Right, <laughs> she does very well for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because I mean, she turned up in Vanderbilt, and I thought, oh well, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, so, uh, and then you've got. In contrast to the ensemble scenes, which you often get each episode, you have a two-hander. You have the two-handers. So mm. you have Rose and Marion here, and you get Rose talking about a strap background and no holes mm. and the dress that kept being regenerated every every mm. season. And then you've got the Bee and Rose um, two-hander, in which Bee has those glorious lines about how when she grow up, she finally realised she'd grown up because she couldn't be right all the time and all that stuff about mm. guilt has to be lived through and, like, even death. Mm. Yes. Do you know when I finally discovered I'd grown up? When I realised I couldn't be right all the time. And I think I have. Well, you're always very sure of yourself. Not no more than you. The bank on it. I should never have reported them to Marion. Given Debbie's age, you have no choice. But I shall always feel guilty. That, if I may say so, is part of the human condition and has to be lived through. Even someone's death? Yes, even that. Before I took my finals, just before, my mother wrote to me, begging me to come home. I'm ill, she said. I knew better. She never loved me, not really. But she died calling my name. Funny thing. For years afterwards, I never stopped apologising. Not for her. But for everything else. You get this depth through Tenko that I just don't see in other series. I mean, mm. Anne-Valerie and Jill Hyam are digging deep here and they're digging personally, they're dig digging into people they knew. This is an Anne-Valerie episode, it's important to say. Mm. And I think the difference for me is that Jill Hyam's episodes... I don't think you can... There's nothing that's confusing or open to interpretation in the same way as an mm. Anne Valerie episode. I think Jill Hyam was perhaps more the professional, the writing professional, and her mm. scripts are so watertight and so spot-on yes. and so thorough. I know that Evgeny Gridnev, who was the script editor, um, he, he was almost like so relieved to get an Anne, um, a Jill script because he wouldn't have to do much work. And there's this, there's this story about when um, Jill wrote Reunion. And, and by the way, she was asked to write Reunion because it was felt that, you know, she would pull it off more, more uh, you know, cleanly, I guess. And, um, mm. and Ken read it and said, um, oh, I couldn't find any, any problem in it. <laughs> as, if, as if that was an issue and Jill was like well, well I should hope not because this is like draft six or something you know it's it, oh, it's going to arrive in a good state whereas Anne oh, oh go and rewrite yes. it then because we've got to be more controversial right yes. but Anne I think was very much more florid and emotional and would put lots of stuff in there and hmm. it doesn't mean I dislike her episodes I'm far from it I mean we've I've chosen two of them no, but it's they're more that they they kind of go to different places, and they kind of sometimes things are unspoken or things are unclear. Like for mm. an example here, that scene where she's talking about um, when Marion says, "Oh, Rose, you're so naive," and mm. I kind of understand what she's getting at, but I don't fully. And mm. there's kind of unspoken things in an Anne Valerie script, whereas with mm. Jill, I feel I'm completely with everything that's going on. I don't know. Is this something you found? 
I think the uh, I I remember when I did my run through a couple of years back, the Anne Valerie strips were always the ones that stuck with me. They stayed with me. They haunted me. Right. Was those moments that really sort of just kind of take you on a slight ninety degree angle to where you thought the story was going, and that's always fascinating to me. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, and I think they both had their favourites. So Jill's favourite mm. character was Marion and mm. Anne's favourite character was Dorothy. And mm. it's funny because they're, I'm going to say it, they're my two favourite characters. So it's interesting that I choose one of each and I, I can see that. And yeah, I, I don't know. It's, I think it's the undisciplined nature of Anne that is appealing. Mm. It's the fact that she's not going to necessarily approach it in a direct way. And mm. yeah, I, 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 there's something perhaps more emotive there. I can't, I can't mm. put my finger on it. Yeah, mm. I, I, I struggle uh, to like Marion as much, right? Especially when she goes, when she goes into full jolly hockey sticks, uh, public school, uh, or you know, private school mm. um, mode. I, I, that's, but that again, I think that's me. You know, I tend to relate more to the oiks. <laughs> Yeah, and I think there's a part of me that relates more to the Marion, and I don't know why that mm. is. I think it's it's possibly even just, you know, Vicar's son brought up in a slightly, you know, we're a bit more superior in the village sort of thing, and it's kind of, I can connect mm. with that sort of aesthetic, no, possible, weirdly. I don't know. Mm. She just felt like... I, don't, I mean, it's not, it's not a performance I dislike. No. I just, I just find, I find it hard, harder to relate to her, especially when, like I say, that suddenly there's, there's this thing in this episode where it, they suddenly say, oh, we'll make a game of it, or, or, we'll, we'll, or we'll have best hat, or best, you know, best productive... And I understand the motivational aspects of that, but it doesn't half great with me. It just, you know. Yeah, and that's that's what Dorothy can't cope with as well. She'll have jolly hockey sticks and up the school, you know. Yeah. She, and she yeah. Always... Maybe I am the Dorothy. Yeah, oh, I think dear. you are. And I love the way she bursts <laughs> it. There's a brilliant scene in this episode where she, um, she bursts their... Pride, and she starts singing "Land of Hope and Glory," doesn't she, in a sarcastic way? Mm. And I think that was the yeah. main change. Watching this episode, watching it now, in my mm. deeply anti-nationalist current state, where I'm fed mm. up of Britain being great and all this crap about mm. the glory days, which we've we've covered in this mm. podcast before. But mm. I, have we? <laughs> I really struggled <laughs> previously really on the eighties, <laughs> but now I really struggle with any of this <laughs> sort of. Oh yes, we're mm. we're gamblers. The British are gamblers. He's right about that. Mm. And before I would be like, yes, I'm behind this. Oh, this is exciting. But now I'm kind of like, sod off with your cliches. It's yeah. So I feel the same as you, really. And even Beatrice singing Jerusalem, it didn't affect me in the same way because I felt yes, it's a song that's moving, but it's oh. but it's also it's speaking to a British nationalism as well. Mm. I can take it in terms of the support of the human spirit, but it's interesting mm. how. I felt differently about it this time for the first time. Do you think that might have something to do with? Um, I mean, ha have you decided to do a, a total rewatch, or did you just pick out the episodes? No, I watched? just watched these three episodes this time. Right. It's because sometimes, because of the ongoing storyline, you know, it's actually sometimes just watching one randomly cold can give you a slightly different yeah. take yeah, on yeah. it. When I did a, a feature a couple of years ago. Uh, I, I I watched them all pretty much over the course of three weeks or whatever it was, yeah. one a morning. And I genuinely think when you get to episode nine and that song happens, you would have to have a heart of stone not to be moved by True. it. It's an incredibly moving scene. 
But if you take it out of context, I mean, I'm still... Uh, it's one of those things I, I can get terribly emotional about people making an effort when they don't have to yeah. for somebody else. Yeah. And and that kind of thing still is the kind of thing, you know, the that kind of aspect of the human spirit where people will actually go beyond, not for themselves, but for some greater goal. Mm. Still, I find that terribly moving. So it is an incredibly moving scene. And of course, it's played over this wide wide shot of the entire oh, yeah. camp. it's so well directed um and it is it is beautiful it's a beautiful piece of direction yeah. and of course it starts so small because they think she's dying and this is the only way they can give any kind of comfort yeah uh and and of course does it start with beatrice yeah 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 does, she she just has to come out to the into the compound and start it off and yes without any and, sort of backing so it's kind of it was a big and as her character also has no religious conviction as is stated quite clearly yeah. that she has no that sort of sense that we are with you again maybe dating back to the fact the school song or yeah, you know, yeah. assembly or whatever but it's beautifully beautifully sort of reaches into those memories people have of being at school being yeah. at, you know. and the fact is that they would never have been those two characters would never have been in the same room yeah of course unless unless uh uh Blanche happened to have sort of broken a leg or something you know they would never have voluntarily been in this and they are together and they are all in this together yeah. and and this whole thing that even the fact is because I think that's the same point in the episode where the Dutch sort of bury the hatchet yeah. come and say can we yeah, help yeah. and again that oh I'm, I'm wobbling now thinking about <laughs> it you know can we help isn't that one of the most glorious things that, that a person can say not you know go and drown in your boat but can we help help yeah. it's it's a fabulously human moment but i also love i also love the fact that you know, that anne is very definite about about writing it in the sense that ulrica is very selfish and her religion blinds mm. her to begin with and i think that's really important and the fact oh, that yes. she doesn't realize what's going on and she goes to complain about the gods laughing at her during prayers and stuff and it's just mm. like i love the fact that it's that blindness that um yeah written by a true atheist i've written in my notes mm. the fact that it was separate well, under the same god is what yamuchi said isn't it <laughs> well absolutely and you know i mean i'm i'm no i mean i again i mean you know i'm no religion no at all, i know you know, i know but uh, but i still get I and mean, maybe it's that sort of old man sentimentalism thing i don't no, know it's not but but it's it's to have that come out of you know a sun sunday night drama was it something no it was um, i think it was wednesdays it started out on right yeah okay so so you know a, a midweek drama to suddenly just hit you with this this gut punch yeah of emotion yeah totally is astonishing and of course you've got louise and do uh, basically by this stage is, is 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 looking a little the worse for wear i know you know i mean there's the moment where she just screams oh you know? yeah yeah, and it's it's absolutely. I mean, people can be a bit funny about actors sometimes, but but when an actor really commits to the moment, yeah. you know, it's an astonishing moment. Yeah, it really, truly is. And 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 that thing of of being allowed to just be dragged by your feet was it a feet or was it by her hands? It was by her feet. I, yeah, I at the end when she's yeah, it was out, by yeah. A, yeah, dra dragged across. Presumably, I mean, I, I assume they they brushed it a bit to get the stones out, but I don't know. Yeah. Really. Yeah, it's 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 again. It's an astonishing commitment to the part, the performance. You know, the character. You know, when someone really, really goes for it in that way, 
you can't. It takes your breath away. Yeah, it it does. really does. And I think it's also important to talk about Blanche as a character being very important. Now, the same with Dorothy as well. And the next episode, we're going to talk about Daisy. That these were people mm. who were not represented in the literature that did come out. The women who did decide mm. to write about their experiences. Um, fantastic books, but they're written mainly by the the nursing staff. Um, mm. And the the people who are kind of forgotten and they're not represented are these people mm. who were former working girls or were mm. previously in service and and they, they mm. either couldn't write or they didn't mm. survive or they wouldn't be talked about and yes and to have them represented is so important and significant and it's it's fascinating it sort of comes back to that stuff about history not being written but, um, mm. you know, it's not equal, is it, history? We know it isn't. Well, we get, to a certain extent, this is touched on by the... What's the name of the, the, the Danish doctor in the... Dr. Trier. Dr. Trier. In She's Trier, French. That's right, yes. French, is she? Yeah. OK. Um, for some reason, I thought she was more Northern European than that. How strange. But um, that sense of the clinical observation, as opposed to the emotional... Uh, story if you like yeah uh, it does come across actually I, I always feel that that's that's the representation of how the story will be told and this is what's actually happening yes I just feel yeah exactly interesting. so that character is interesting yeah. from that point of view although we haven't quite got got yeah. to her yet something i want to talk about in that first um series episode is the humor that you have in it so you have um, Claire Oberman doing a brilliant impression of Sylvia you shoot the lot eh something like that it's all that experience up country the mem sobs striding into the unknown, ready to give as good as they got. Um, and then you have Yamuchi doing the Dutch with Ulrika. Huda Moran! Commandant? Huda Moran! Is not a Dutch for good morning? I think it better if we speak in English. It's just so funny. And you just think the humour that comes from unexpected things, even Dorothy and Sally and the chasing after the bucket of mud is kind of funny in its own sort of... Mm. It's it's a low scene, really. It's a low moment in that they're, you know, fighting over a bucket of mud to strain for water. Mm. But it's it's our bucket of mud. Yes. yes. Which, again, shows when you've got nothing, the something you have becomes even more important. Oh, no, you don't! Give it here! Have you gone mad? Mad? You know we're trying to strain off the water. Such a stupid idea. Stupid or not, we dug that mud so we've every right to do what we want with it. You have no right to abuse us or to trample over our vegetables. Our ah, vegetables? They're for the bloody nips! They're oh, for the bloody fresh water! you swear in front of our sister? And why not? Look, it's one thing being forced to grow their vegetables, it's quite another putting ourselves out for them. Dragging mud across the compound? Feeding them up when we're starving! If you British mud always causing trouble, we wouldn't have had our rations cut! Well, at least we didn't collaborate with the enemy! How dare you say we collaborate? And why not? At least we didn't capitulate to the Nazis like you lot! <laughs> uh, one one thing for me in that episode is the hats themselves. I mean, they they have this weekly... They have a week, don't they, yeah. to make five uh, hundred... What what's the uh, the acceptable term for these hats now? They're sun hats. They're sun hats. They are the the, the kind of pointed workers yeah. hats mm-hmm. for working in the fields, and they're made out of bamboo, bamboo leaves. leaves. Yes, bamboo yeah, leaves. Yeah. Yes, and 
you just kind of wonder. I I wonder who had prop duties. Oh, I wondered that. I mean, <laughs> who made them all? Exactly. Because somebody would have had to make them. I mean, it's it's, it's not you know <laughs> even if they only had to have a hundred for the actual shot, somebody would have had to make these bloody things <laughs> in some BBC sweatshop out of Acton somewhere. <laughs> And that's make yeah quite a lot of them because they're stacked, aren't they? But um, oh, they are. Yeah, maybe they're left over from a, an, a, a I don't know a production of the Mikado or something. I don't know, <laughs> or a Morecambe and Wise Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> um, we should talk about we talked about the hats then, but the the overall design mm. is by Colin Shaw. The construction of the camp mm. and it's so believable. And I think the actors mm. all said to me, you know, it was not hard to believe we were out in Sumatra. And I think they had really good weather that summer as well, so that kind of helped. Um, Can I ask at this point, can I ask you, I mean, you probably know because it's in the book probably, and I've forgotten to read that far, but was there a production reason why the camps changed between the first and second season? They wanted a larger camp, so they needed a larger area. So so it's literally just further down this country track. So I I went to the, the camps again last year. Um, okay. And we just wandered around a bit with permission of the people. Who... Oh, the sets are still standing. Not the sets, no. But um, oh, right. I did pick up a few bits of corrugated iron that I like to think were left over from. <laughs> <laughs> Not like large bits, <laughs> but um, no. It's just amazing that you can actually go there. And I was that went with John after yes. we'd seen it, and he was like, "I can't believe this is actually where it all happened." I was like, "I know, it's amazing." I know it? that rock. Yeah. I recognise that rock. So, have we got anything else to say about this episode that we haven't said? I do think there's a lovely point of view shot from uh, towards the end of it when Blanche is released and and is returned. I do think that's a very. It's actually isn't it the cameras on the um, makeshift um, stretcher? Yes, and that was and, and Louise says that was her idea to make it a bit more interesting and and it it's on Rose and Marion as well, isn't it, to show that you know they're the people who actually. Effectively, effectively betrayed it, even out of good motives. But also, I think I think certainly, you know, I, one of the things that I have written in big letters about this episode is is the direction who is uh, David Askey, Askey, yeah, I believe, yeah, in that episode, and um, yeah, it's it it looks quite wonderful. I mean, you do wonder sometimes with shows like this, especially if you're going to use sort of POVs and everything. Yeah. The, the the set has to be real enough that you can actually shoot every single angle without. Suddenly, there's sort of fifty, you know, production runners in shot or, mm. or cameras and stuff and everything like that. And so, I mean, beautifully designed set, beautifully and you know, beautifully directed. That again, that the one that sticks with me is that wide shot of the whole camera. Yeah, of course, because um, it it just is an incredibly effective moment. I will not cease from mental fight. Nor shall my sword sleep in my hand Till we have built Jerusalem In England's green and pleasant land So that episode over, we go to series two. Yeah. So I just want to talk... Well, I said I'd not talk about episode titles because when I first recorded these, when I saw them again off UK Gold in the early 90s, mm-hmm. I decided to name all the episodes. And for a while, they kind of oh. felt like they were they were true episode titles because I'd named them. It's, it right. was weird how that kind of passed into my own personal And if they're in law. the book, they're canon. Well, that, that didn't... 
include them in the book. But for me, this episode was always just called Sally, um, just because, Sally, of, right. you know. And the last episode oh, was called Blanche. Bit, bit of Gracie Fields. So, yeah. Sally from That's the alley, wasn't it? Yeah. So... <laughs> I knew my throat was going. <laughs> so, synopsis. 2nd of January, 1943. The women have recently arrived at a new camp with a new administration and new rules. Hmm. Sally has withdrawn into herself following the discovery that her husband's name was not on the list of prisoners in the men's camp. A prestigious visit is announced and Sally decides to spoil it in the most tragic way possible. Hmm. So this is by Jill Hyam, which is why I think yes. nothing feels extraneous. Everything counts. Hmm. Nothing jars. Hmm. It's incredibly crafted. Um, and as I said, this episode affected me very deeply. Thoughts? Hmm. I mean, this is episode three, so... We're very much in a transition and we've arrived at this place. And the strange thing about it is because it's another hellhole in the jungle. Yes. Let's not beat about the bush. Here. Yeah. And you suddenly start feeling nostalgic for the old place. <laughs> because, and this is, again, it's a human thing because it's familiarity. Yes. And suddenly this is unfamiliar. And actually, as a viewer, you are introduced to the, shall we say, the locals. Yeah. Um, the the people who have should we say set up this place and are running it for the for their own nefarious purposes. Yeah. Uh, you, this situation you feel as alien. Yes, that's because so you've well got done. you've got used to. In the first year, you've got you know what Tenko is as a viewer. Yeah. You know, okay, I know what Tenko is. I I get it. And then this, and you've got hold on a minute. You've got Werner, this self-serving you know, yeah, sits there with a cups of tea, yeah. you know telling everybody what to do and charging you for your clothes and you know, making money on the side. Yeah. And also you've got Miss Hassan. Yes, played by Josephine. Who is... Welcome, yeah. who, who's, a, who's a fascinating... Uh, being a, sort of like the female version, if you like, of Yamauchi, yeah. or, the, or the sort of female... She, she has risen up in Japanese society to, because of her presumably English skills as much as yeah. anything. And so is there as the mouthpiece of the establishment, the... Yeah. Uh, the, the soldiers, the uh, the army, the jailers. Um, and you've got these two monsters from both sides of the um, the, the wall. Both, you know, they, and and they are terrifying. And you're sat there as a viewer going, oh, crikey, I, I understood this. Marion was in charge. Yes. Sister Ulrika was in. And, and what's what's all this? Ah, and, and your brain is just trying to take this in in much the same way as the characters do. Yeah. So, so that's kind of been set up before we get to episode three. My name is Miss Hassan. Miss Hassan. I am the official interpreter, and I assist Lieutenant Nakamura in the administration of this camp. This camp is the best camp in Area 3. This camp is the most efficient. This camp has the best production figures at the factory. So, there is no trouble here. There is no disobedience here. On the bed. All is harmony. Harmony. Good afternoon. Yeah, it's such a great setup. And series two, it just I think it just works so well and, and mm. you think well they've had it bad before, you now think, Oh my god, in this new thing. And you talked about boarding school before, the Jolly Hockey Sticks thing, and I think there's a sort mm. of horrific boarding school quality to this that mm. that is oh, really absolutely. amplified through the script and through the um direction and the acting. Um And you and you've also you're introduced uh, we've had Jocelyn has turned yeah. up who is a 
godsend. Yeah. But you've also got Marion's old school friend. Lillian Cartland, played by Philippa Urquhart, who, who it's, it's really hard to like her um, yes. because she's very much fallen in. She's like cattle, really, in a way. Like she's fallen in with the Ferner's way and she's the, she sort of represents the women who have allowed well, this to happen. Head prefect, yeah. really, in some ways. It's, um, yeah. it's kind of like, you know, keep everything in order. But all of her motivation is for Bobby. Yes, the son. And and what she will do, because she has a young son who's in the camp with her, what she will do is, again, monstrous. And again, we get back to human nature in Tenko, but the human nature on display in these, and certainly in her storyline, yeah. is just outrageous. Yeah. And it's, but it, and it, yet it is, but it's also understandable. understandable. Exactly, because I, yes. I always have this thing, because I do have a son, I always think, well, would I have done mm. the same to save John? Yeah, probably. Mm. <laughs> Mm. I know. I and, and this is the thing, and, uh, which makes it very human. But it also, ma- what I'm saying is, as a viewer, you start, you understand it, but the guilt yeah. that you feel because you think, yeah, I'd probably yeah, do that as well. Exactly. But we have to think of the children. I'm sure, you'd feel the same if Ben were here. I suppose so. And the swear box proceeds do go to a good cause. What's that? Lining Verner's pocket. Birthday gifts for the children. Should do well with our lot around. And even in this episode, it's signposted because she says, "There's nothing worse than losing your child." She says, "So mm. you know, there's cl- the clues are there, um, mm. very clearly, um, very carefully scripted, and also the fact this she's a perfect example of how well drawn the characters were, and and you know, mm. Lavinia devised them to begin with, and then Anne and Jill, mm. you know, brought them on. But um, the fact that she is clearly she's had she's had lots of miscarriages, you know. So Bobby mm. becomes even more special, and all that stuff. It's so um, it's all there. You understand. Well, it. that again is is one of those things that that is is fascinating about Tenko and women talking with women, uh, which which again is a thing that throughout the series is is interesting because to be fair, those kinds of things were not really mentioned much in telly, apart from there might be a dramatic moment in the soap opera where someone I lost the baby. Yeah. The parallel story is, of course, you've got this character who's doing anything to keep her son alive. You've got another character who has lost a child. You've also got Dorothy who lost a child. Yeah. Did she in, in the early? Yes, years? Violet. Yeah. So you've got at least three characters who, who, and you're seeing the different play out of how this plays out and the different personalities. Yeah. And it's fascinating. And it, and, and is, of course, it's not the sort of thing that gets put on television yeah. very often. And it's the fact that these three women are, all have very different reactions to it, and that's the thing. It's like. Mm. What I get really frustrated with is like if you have a woman character in a in a series which is mm. dominated by, mainly by men as ever, it's like they have to be a mm. strong woman. Well, no, why do they have mm. to have a strong female character? I, I don't think a strong female character is one that's always brave and always says the witty things, always says the right things. It just has to be a character mm. that's well-drawn and is female. And mm. Tenko has an embarrassment of riches, but there's so few series that have two or three women that are well-drawn, you know. I think television struggles generally with giving uh, any kind of equality to its male and female characters. Yeah. And the fascinating thing to me is that the one thing, the one thing, I don't watch them, but the one thing that comes out of soap operas is that the women are generally better written than the men. <laughs> and it's and it's the only area of television drama where that generally is the case. Yeah, and... I, I do find that fascinating. I remember when I d- talked to David Tucker, who directed this episode, 
Um, he mm. he was saying, I don't think soap should be such a dirty word. I mean, he may have partly been saying that because he does now direct on EastEnders. But mm. I think he was not unhappy about bringing that soapy quality out in the sense of you need to get to know these women, you need to understand them. Mm. And yeah, at least in soap, you do get that sometimes. I mean, obviously, this mm. is ele- elevated soap, highly elevated soap, but still. I wanted to talk about Daisy um, because mm. I think she is one of the underrated gems in Tenko and I I think she's forgotten because she's, ser- she's only in series two. But um, She was in service. Yes. This is Daisy who was in yes. service. Anna Lindup. She's so desperate to get her message out that she has to take a big deb- deep breath in order to get out. And she's such a character actress. She really lives and breathes her roles and... Yes. And I think she really puts so much into this that you really utterly believe that she's a charity child and her wide-eyedness mm. and her her views on religion and she so, so embodies this character that mm. is a fascinating, another fascinating glimpse into different people who would have lived and would have been in the camps mm. and who mm. is desperately tragic and um, and just... Just her, her, her talking about the schoolgirl comic um, and how mm. Sally reminds her of Barbara Redfern, and she's how oh, lovely, mm. won it? <laughs> it's just, mm. it's so believable, and it's, it's those little touches yeah. that are so well done. Pardon me for asking, but your name wouldn't be Barbara, would it? Babs for short. No, it's Sally. Oh, just wondered. Only I used to take this paper when I was in service. Schoolgirl. And there was someone in it, Barbara Redfern. Babs for short. You put me in mind of her, except she was always laughing. I used to read Schoolgirl. Did you? Lovely, wasn't it? And of course, like Verna, dies off screen. <laughs> yes, indeed. I remember Anna Lindup saying, I'm sure she could have survived. I'm like, did you see that injury? Mm. I don't think you could, Anna. <laughs> she wanted to be in the third series. What interests me actually yeah. about these things is sometimes when, when you've got characters who are written out of programmes mm. and you've got characters who choose to leave programmes, mm. say something like Blake Seven. Mm-hmm. Before the seri- second series of Blake Seven was on, there was a big article in Starburst magazine which basically said, oh, in the next series, one of the characters is going to die. Yeah. And it was Gab. Yeah. Right? Now, I don't know whether David Jackson wanted out or whether if if he hadn't been killed off then, he might have stayed for the entire run. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then suddenly it turns out at the end of the series, actually, there's a couple that don't want to be there at all. So why didn't you bump them off in the middle of the yes. series? <laughs> you know, I, I, it always fascinates me that someone gets killed off and then half the cast leave and you think, well, why didn't you bump one of them off? <laughs> I think it's also this idea me. of just letting people leave at the end as well as unfortunate. And that's why mm. it actually, a quirk of fate leads to Dorothy leaving halfway through series three because she had a, a play to do, um, mm. a, a, a significant, prestigious play. And that's why she leaves early. Yes. And she regretted it at the time because it didn't quite work out. But looking mm. back, it's brilliant that she leaves halfway through because it means mm. you get an examination and exploration of her earlier mm. You also get your episode. Yeah, you get the your interesting episode, thing about yeah. the third series is each each character sort of yeah. gets their own episode to a certain extent. Yeah, and that leads beautifully on to me talking about Kate, who I think is one of the mm. most underwritten but also underrated mm. characters, and mm. I think she does a Claire Open does a beautiful job here of talking about um, 
about her character not having a vocation. You haven't told Dr. Trier about me being a nurse? No. Oh, thank God. Yeah, anyway, I haven't had a chance. Oh, we'll be a sport and don't. Oh, I couldn't stay in working with her. Look, I know that she's not the most endearing of people, but you're going to be needed, Kate. I don't see why. They seem pretty well set up to me. And she'll have you now, as well as her two assistants. Yes, but they're not nurses like you are. They've only done a few months training. You know yourself what that amounts to. A little more than skivvying. Oh, come on, bitch. Where's your sense of duty? I don't have one anymore. I never did have a sense of vocation like you or Nellie. I only took up nursing to see a bit of the world. Well, I've seen all I want to see now. Thanks. But then at the end, when Sally, Sally's dead, she, she mm. comes to to you know clean her up yes. and it's so beautifully done and also it's her that prompts me to tears at the end when she says at least she achi achieved something wipe the smile off her faces yes. and the way she delivers that in such a such a triumphant way that's what mm. sets me to tears is the fact that yes at least it was worth it and i can mm. hear myself going here thinking about it yeah it's it's a it's a beautiful character moment yeah and that's 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 the interesting thing again it's that thing about you know your self-interest over the interests of somebody, even somebody who you know can cannot, you know, reciprocate because they they've died, yeah. and and this is the moment where she chooses. You know, I'll set that aside because this person needs me, yeah. um, even in death. And yeah. again, yeah, and that's that's a, a wonderful thing. What are you doing here? Only medical staff are allowed. I want to help Beatrice prepare Sally's body. Don't be absurd. This is a job for a nurse. I am a nurse. It's true. I'd like her to help me. But I Please. You were her friends. Waste. At least she achieved something, didn't she? She wiped the smile off their faces. Ruined the whole bloody visit. Surely aren't suggesting she timed it deliberately? No. The interesting thing is that the actors that, you, that get mentioned in relation to Tenko Unfortunately, Claire Overman isn't necessarily the one that first comes to mind, you know. And yet, like you say, she's there all the way through. And I think it's also she doesn't get the stories, um, you know, and mm. she'd be the first to say that. I mean, she is the first to say that because interv I interview her later. But <laughs> Well, the, the, yeah, but she, I mean, in the third episode we're going to talk about, she is utterly brilliant. Yeah. You know, yeah. and again, why there are moments uh, with uh, Veronica Roberts as well where I just cannot understand why she didn't have a stratospheric television career because there are moments that she plays that you just think god this is this this is i can't take my eyes off the screen this is absolutely mesmerizing indeed indeed i did want to talk about how there is humor again here amongst the um the horror and all that stuff <laughs> i love joss's line about um bauble stuffed up her knickers and is knickers a swear word which i think is just the most brilliant line ever delivered in <laughs> well <laughs> Well, you see, we have this this situation, don't we, where this vid visiting general, I presume, is a Shimojo. General, yes, is is coming to the yeah. camp, and because everything has to be seen to be perfect, yeah. uh, they are they're told to put on makeup. Sorry, they they get they get one lippy between them. Yeah, 
they, they have to hire or rent or borrow some posh dresses that happen to be in the store somewhere. And, and can, in this can I say something where... about one of the dresses? It now takes me okay. out of it. It's the only thing that's ever taken me out of this episode now. And oh, okay. it's the, the dress that Sally gets that she commits suicide in is Monique's dress mm. from Secret Army. <laughs> Well, there you From go. Not According to Plan, and I can't believe uh, I can't believe it's the same dress, but it is. BBC Prop Store. Oh. Anyway, carry on. There we go. No, it's 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 and they have to put on these so dresses and makeup and they have this photograph taken for international publication. Yeah. With teacups and biscuits. Biscuits that they're not allowed to eat. An afternoon tea and hats. <laughs> they're not allowed to eat the biscuits either. They have to put them No, back. they have to give the bloody biscuit back at the end of it, which is kind of yeah. Monstrous. Like, I mean, yes. But then again, equally, when you see them in rags all the time, and you know there's this room full of dresses, yeah. even that just... Uh, I, I know this is part of the absurdity, and I know that yeah. the whole point of that is to get that absurdity of the situation yes, totally. across, and also to show Werner for the grasping yeah. whatever. But it fascinates me, this. Because yeah. it, 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 it... I'm not saying it's played for comedy, but you actually see the humour in it. Yes. And it's astounding. Even the absurdity of Sally dashing across the compound in that in that evening dress, that's deliberately mm. absurd and odd, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Come on, everyone. Say cheese. Now, after I count three, right? One, two, three. Cheese. Sally's suicide. It's. I mm. think Sally's performance, um, Joanna Hall's performance as withdrawn Sally, is is astonishing. Mm. It must have been really tiring to do for all these three episodes to be so mm. out of it. And it just shows what a good actress yes. she is because she's so jolly hockey sticks in the first series, and and mm. she's now totally devoid of emotion and mm. you can see in her eyes everything that's going on and it's just yes it has a, a reality to it there's that brilliant scene in the first episode where she runs into the sea where, during the journey when they have that stop off point and she runs in almost blindly because mm. she thinks she should be enjoying it but her body can't because she's so closed mm. off to everything it's so well done mm. but um mm. here the it's the determination to kill herself for the for this purpose mm. it's just staggering and breathtaking in a way that I can't process almost. It's mm. it's one of the very few times where I've seen a suicide and I thought, not that it's just, it's tragic, mm. but you feel like its purpose is commendable almost. Yeah. And that's a terrible thing to say, but it feels like mm. she's so certain that it will re reunite her with Peter. And she's mm. so certain that Peter's dead, and it's just a sort of like it's it's a very deliberate thing, and I think it's haunting and beautiful and also mm. just unbearably tragic, yeah, anyone can see this is a broken person throughout the episode, and whilst they can't really do anything to stop it, what it does in the end is it really does ruin the general's yeah. visit. And because it ruins the general's visit, this is a victory of sorts. Yeah. And of course, this is a character that you've grown to like over yeah. a season and a half uh, by this stage. So it, it is all the more shocking if you are watching an ongoing storyline in, in a series. Yeah. To have one of the main characters. Yeah. 
sort of do that and and again it's not something that really turns up a lot in <clears throat> drama generally yeah. but it's it is it is it is incredibly well done and and sympathetically that's yeah. i think the interesting thing so we'll move on to series three, episode six. Series three, we get the transition of is it a couple of years, isn't it? Yeah, and it's 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 an argument that if there had been a, a third series that had been in the camps, it would have been perhaps too much tragedy, too much to actually yeah. see that again. And though, well, I think this is it's funny. When I did my other article, I, I thought this this you almost feel that the the BBC were thinking unremitting grimness, yeah. and it had become in their that's what how they saw it. That's how they saw the show. Yeah. It was just, oh, it's just these grim women week after week after yeah. week. And so, but also my worry about the third series, and and again, you could probably give more insight mm. to this, so I should just shut up. But to me, it's, it starts to emphasise male roles again in a way that the previous two series hadn't. Right. You know, there were more. And I sort of feel that, does is that a kind of paradigm shift of... of television of the time this is too female well no i i th- i don't think it is i think it's because okay. lavinia would have devised those characters um i mean it's mm. jake Stephen, and of course clifford coming back i think it's to show mm. that well they're back in bloody they're clifford. back in the world now and they have to they yes. have to deal with the men in 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 life they have to deal with them mm. and mm. but now they relate to them differently and uh, mm. the th- i think particularly the the dorothy and jake thing they're equals they're very much equals, mm. especially as it goes into reunion. Yes. Mm. And Stephen and Joss are kind of equals. Yes, and they're it, playmates, and, really, aren't they? <laughs> yes. And obviously with Clifford, Marion's not going to go back in her box. No. It is evidence, vital evidence, if only for those who've died and can't bear witness. Think of your friends, Rose and Blanche. You still had no right to read my diary. Look, I happened on it by chance, that's all. By the time I realised what it was, well, anyway, I thought you said it was burnt. The first one was. Oh, isn't that rather splitting hairs? Since your apportioning of labels, Dorothy was nothing but a tart, Maggie the next best thing, such niceties of distaste. Are you surprised? Anyway, as far as our department goes, whatever they've been up to is too petty to be of interest, not our concern. Perhaps. But they are mine. Oh, for God's sake, Marion, isn't it time you let up? If it ever gets out that you and they are... Friends, it's a risk we'll have to take. No, I think the men are essential to Series 3, and mm. I'm glad there's not many of them, mm. but um, it's it's good that they're there. Mm. Um, As foil. It's just so, you get these arsy, um army officers that you just think... Oh, oh Colonel sh- Smithers, particularly. Up. Smithers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's called Smithers as well, yeah. which says everything. <laughs> Shall I give you a synopsis? Please do. Um... Ulrika is reuni- reunited with the women at Raffles and seeks permission from her reverend mother to minister to troubled Dorothy. Clifford finds and reads Marion's diary and decides to use it against Yamauchi. Dorothy learns that a complaint has been lodged against her by a fellow internee. However, it is the discovery that her mother has died that prompts her to return to England. Beatrice confides in Marion about her failing eyesight. Fascinates me. Yeah. Uh, Ulrika fascinates me in this because Ul- Ulrika actually disappears for the, much of the second series as well, doesn't she? Uh, yes. Towards the yeah. end of the series. And second half, yeah. and hasn't indeed been seen this series until uh, yeah. uh, this point. Uh, yeah. And this basically comes because of there's been these accusations, and uh, Dorothy has gone running off into the night, or running off into the day. Into the day, yes. <laughs> and uh, and and basically, you know, because all these people are saying, oh, you know, being being what people are, 
unpleasant yeah. and and she's found it all too much and somehow you know the fates bring her to the very feet of sister Ulrika Dorothy come back Dorothy who crucially was the person who showed her understanding and compassion when she Indeed. had the baby in the camp and the one Indeed. that she, she had the abortion. And mm. they are, you know, these bookend characters. They even say it in the script, mm. so we're, we're bookends, you and me, you know, the black mm. and the white. And mm. and her atheism compared to, obviously, mm. Ulrika's religion is fascinating and they work mm. so well together. And as you will hear in the Veronica Roberts interview, she was incredib- they were incredibly close friends mm. in real life. Yeah, um, Ulrika is is fantastic here, and it's it's really wonderful to to see her still struggling. Yes, she's mm. she's found some of who she was as a nun, and she's kind of reclaimed some stuff. But there's a line that Dorothy has about her. Yes, but somehow still hidden, and. Mm. You can tell, I could tell from that that it's an Anne Valerie script because, yes. again, it's not giving you everything. It's right, letting yes. you have to think about, well, what is being meant here? And mm. what is being meant is that she's still struggling with this sin of pride and she, she's still questioning, well, have I found myself as, as a woman? Does that matter anymore? Mm. Because in the camp she discovered her vocation as a woman, but now it's mm. like, yeah, the sin of self is what she mm. describes it as. And it's mm. a fascinating thing and very deep thing to explore through something like this drama, I think. Through any drama. You look so different. I am older. We're all older, even so. If you were only wearing that old nightshirt like you did back in camp, dressed as you are now, you look... I don't know. A nun? Oh, that too, but somehow more hidden. Still, I suppose I'll get used to it. What counts is we're together again. No time it'll be like the old days. That day so very precious. <laughs> Bits where? The closeness and the friendships. Us against the rest. Now there is no need to be against anyone. Oh, isn't there? They're still out there, you know, waiting for someone to trip up. But with your help, I promise... Uh, Dorothy. Would... What? I'm here only to convalesce. A few weeks at the very most. Then I must go where my order chooses to send me. Perhaps even back to Holland. But you've always said how much you like the East and its people. Indeed. But God's will, not my will, be done. And through that obedience, I can grow ever closer to the love and understanding of my Saviour. And further away from us. No. Feels like it. Uh, it's, it's interesting, again, as a character, that because obviously the whole of Tenko is about well, not the whole of Tenko, but a lot of the, well, maybe one of the themes is about imprisonment. Yeah. And yet, you know, voluntary imprisonment in some other yes. kind of um, institution, for mm-hmm. a better word, is, is uh, that character explores that very well. You know, yeah. it is, it is very interesting from that point yeah. of view. Um, but we must talk about Dorothy. And I mean, this, this episode is, is about, is about her coming to terms with, 
honesty about who she is and the fact that mm. she does actually care, just like her mum, she does actually care about what the neighbours think, ultimately. Mm. <laughs> and she realises that she does need to go back to, the, to England and that yes. she can think it's her against the world and think that's okay and that she can still mm. keep on fighting. But in fact, no. And also the revelation that she does love her mother, someone who she didn't think she did love and, mm. you know... and. Maggie has that brilliant line about nagging being a sort of loving and just mm. illuminating to her that she does, mm. she did love her. And it's, there's so much in here. It's so dense. It's hard to talk about in, in a superficial way. But what was really the crunch was Marion's diary. She told me how many important people, strangers, were going to know what I did, was. Well, um... You know, right away I started imagining how I could win them over. Dorothy sacrificing herself for her baby's eggs, for medicines for the sick. I suddenly saw. So much for finding myself at last. Not caring what the neighbours think. And that being so, there's no point in my staying, really, is there? But their house in edge there, it will be empty. Just as this is. The Japanese, they took everything. Mm-hmm. Everything. More than we knew. Series three is, is fascinating to me because it, it, this, this whole exploration of the post-liberation thing is something that Colditz walked away from. Yes. Um, you know, um, you basically your characters they're liberated. End of story in 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 Colditz and okay, fair enough. I mean, you know, uh, and in, to a certain extent in Secret Army as well. You know, yeah, you've got two episodes that are post-war in Secret Army, haven't yeah. you? Or, or is, it, is it just one and a half? But they're gold. So Those moments are gold. Yeah, but this is what I'm saying. With a lot of series, you sort of go away thinking, "Oh, I wonder what happened next." Yes. Whereas actually, what Tenko did was it showed you what happened. Yeah. The thing that gets me about series three generally is Joss. Yeah. Because Joss does all this stuff for the the locals to try and 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 ends up being killed on the streets of Singapore. Effectively, yes. Effectively. Yeah. And um, and and you think you know you, you, this is when you should think you're safe, and it's it's almost like when you think you're safe is when life gets most dangerous of all. Yeah. You what I mean? Yeah. 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 And of course, again, if you're following a storyline, you you uh, you invest in the characters, and so you want them all to have happy endings. And mm -hmm. of course, you know, storylines in drama, you know, in life, don't often give you happy endings. So, so it's 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 more real, but it's just very difficult, as a viewer, to uh, to to sort of take that on board. You know, you mm -hmm. want them all to, you know, they've survived all this, and then that happened. But to actually yeah. have the the time given to understanding how they might rebuild their lives or how might they view things differently or behave differently is is fascinating I mean, you've got the germs here of dorothy's antique business and through the black marketeering that she's learned oh, I'd, I'd have watched half a dozen spin-offs of this dr dr b the series you yeah know? <laughs> well i sat on the floor in lavinia's front room as she mm. was getting stuff out of her loft and she passed me some bits of paper really casually mm. and and it was an outline of series four and series five mm. That okay. she drafted, which were post, you know, Singapore. It was there was mm. a whole whole other two series back in Civvy Street that she'd mm. she'd come up with, 
Mm. And you could have done a series of one-off plays even, couldn't yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, there's so, mu yeah. so much yeah. opportunity in the sense that these characters were so beloved. And um, mm. I'm, I'm very relieved that they did get to do Reunion as well. But mm. you could argue there's even more legs in this. Um, mm. And she certainly knew that from having met the women and what happened next. Mm. You've got broken marriages and and health concerns from people over the years and you know mm. it's just there's so much more but i'm so pleased that this mm. series is given over to this exploration mm. because you learn so much more about the characters in them dealing with everyday life in this strange melting pot of a city that is singapore mm. after the war as well and all that uncertainty mm. and all the recriminations all the, all, and, yes, yeah. yes and, all the, and all the black marketing yeah. marketeering and all this kind of, i think the the one that the scene that sort of um stands out for me in the early part of the episode is uh, Marion uh, grabbing all the food off the oh, plate. Oh gosh, yes. Because you know that's a lovely, I mean, a beautifully done moment. You know, and of course that whole thing about go out and buy stuff, and you know I've got nylons, and you think, oh god, suddenly you're in a land of plenty. You know? yeah. yeah. And that's just when you've lived three, three and a half years with nothing. Yeah. You know, that's that's it's that is such a human moment where she just. Oh, there's so much food there. She just wants to eat it all immediately before it's it goes yeah. away. You know? And he has the audacity to say, "What on earth are you doing?" He's angry. Oh. I mean, he's angry well, we in the situation with Clifford, isn't he? The 1940s didn't understand post-traumatic stress, especially in women. You were supposed to just get on with it. You know? But it's also it's really fascinating. It's it's clear and it's it's played out more in this series as well later on. Mm. Is that really he's angry, and it, his anger is his guilt. Because he was yes. pen pushing back in England when she was having to actually properly lead, you know, she actually led her way through the flipping war in a way that was astonishing, and yes. um, and also the discovery that she actually does still need to be their leader for the rest of mm. the series, and that's mm. beautifully played by Anne Bell and by the other characters who come to need her. Like when Kate's Tom dies, that she mm. turns to Marion as her leader to help her and to organise everything, mm. and it's. That bond will never be broken. She will always be their leader in many ways. Oh, Kate. Found your message when I got home. I came at once. I knew you would. How are you feeling? Better than I was. I called in to see Ulrika. And now you're here. Well, I've tried to be practical. I've got a couple of black outfits and a hat, just in case you're stuck. Oh, thanks. I was worrying about that. But you've also got, you know, Bee's self pity. You know, about her losing her sight and all this kind of thing. And it's, it's, is this, this is also the one where we get that she tidies the office. Yes, yes. And then Joss and Stephen destroy it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful scene. Beautiful scene. Yeah. Um, I mean that again. That whole trying to find a role. You know, I'm I'm a blind old doctor yeah. and all this kind of thing, and 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 I can go in and I can organise these people and they just walk in and oblivious. Yeah. Because they want to find this particular piece of paper that she knows where it is if they'd only asked her. Yeah. And she, and as she runs out into the street and she says, "I have nothing, nothing." And it's about mm. what have these people got left? Have the Japanese mm. taken everything from them through imprisonment mm. and through the privations they mm. suffered? And it's mm. a question of what is left. And I think mm. that's a fantastic thing to explore in this third series. 
Yeah. Well, again, and you also get the other side of uh, Beatrice when she sort of goes on about absolutely hating Yamauchi because of all the people who would have survived if he. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and she be and that's and yet you've got this united mm. sisterhood of Marin and Beatrice, and yet they're always going to be diametrically opposed on the issue of Yamauchi. Yamauchi. Always. Yeah. Yes. There are a couple of of quick nods I do want to take because we yep. we haven't we haven't uh, so far. Uh, mentioned uh, Metro Goldwyn. Yes, we haven't. No, and uh, that is just again beautifully. She always, she always reminds me of my mum, which is terrible. Uh, oh, really? Does just, she? just, just looks. She has a quite similar facial. Well, she looks exactly like my grandma on my dad's side. So we always used to call her Metro Goldwyn. So that was. <laughs> uh, well, we never got went that quite that far at home. But right, she just yeah. it, there is something about the way you know she just triggers some memory of my mother. Which is kind of weird, but um, but just again uh, to to play that who's you know the character who's obviously um, this is Elizabeth Chambers yeah to play that character across the three series who is a survivor uh, who is so self centered and self absorbed and yet still come across as a sympathetic character it was was phenomenal. All I know is that whatever I do is wrong, and why? Because I am the silly Mrs. Van Meer who is good for a laugh and not much else. But I will tell you something. For some of us, money is the only comfort that we can have. And at least it never lets one down. And the other the other character I did want to just briefly touch on is Elspeth Grey. Uh, yes, Bristow Phyllis, in this series. Yeah. Because, again, added to the... As, as the kind of no-nonsense British, oh, get everybody organised character... It's it's a bit of a thankless role, but she she does do a sterling job throughout the series of of, of, of playing that sort of sounding board and yeah. and and driving the plots along and 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 it can't have been easy to come in to you know that ensemble and still sort of make an impression, but she does an incredible job on that. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you took my advice in the end. I didn't. It was my own decision. Even better. Hate to think I'd forced anyone. Not my style at all. Now, don't ask me how, but I've got you onto an aeroplane. You're to be at the airport tomorrow morning, 10 sharp. An aeroplane? That's right. Thought it wisest to get you away as quickly and quietly as possible under the circumstances. Thank you. There's so much in here that it's... I mean, this is why my reviews of my of the episodes in the book are so long, mm. because there's just so much to explore and analyse. To write about, but, yes. but, um So we can't possibly do it justice here, but I think mm. just the fact that you have so many well-drawn characters who you're learning mm. more about, even though, you know, you're 26 episodes in here and you're mm. still learning more about them. And as you, as you said earlier, unpeeling the onion. Mm. And it's, it's astonishing how much, how much there is to it, how layered it is and how the characters all relate to each other and how you, you learn more about them through each other. And mm. Well, it's, it's incredibly brave. I mean, th this, I mean, this actually has, has the line in it. Uh, this episode has the line it not all japs are bastards yes which is um again you know prime time you know this was not accepted you know philosophy in, the, in by that stage you know yes and yeah, of course yeah. the, the the ability to forgive the people who did these things to you i mean or you know some people less able to do that but but that as just to have it as a theme is astonishing the the, the different themes i mean there's the whole theme about uh, Christina and, and her family and how how she's starting to question this whole idea of what Britishness is yeah. especially if you you know you, like you say well, you, you don't have quite the right sort of parents yeah you know 
or, or quite the right place in society. And of course, that again threads beautifully into into the um, the reunion special. And there's little nuggets of wisdom throughout that really mm. stay with you. And like, like that bit where Dorothy says, you know, if there's one thing that we learnt from the camps, it's that that you know everything is not for the best and the best of all possible worlds you know that things don't always happen for a reason and, and life can be freaking awful and i think mm. there's a reality to tenko that i find really appealing that it's mm. it's it's saying you know we don't know we don't know mm. we don't know about ourselves i mean the important thing about dorothy in this episode you know mm. um phyllis says at one point oh well you know I wish I'd understood you a bit more. And she says, well... Well, even I didn't, so don't kid yourself. <laughs> oh, I did just want to mention Damien Thomas because he has this... and Because he, he has this swagger as Jake, as Jake Holter, and he's the perfect sort mm. of, like, sexy man character to, to come and get all the women excited and stuff. But him being Damien, Damien is the sweetest, nicest man you could ever meet. And... And also mm. remarkably unconfident, despite his looks. And to know him and then to mm. see him in this, you realise how much he's acting. <laughs> Bec- mm. I spotted him in something else. and I, could, I, would, I could Well, he's one of the leads in Shogun. Him. He's brilliant yeah. in Shogun. Yeah. It's fantastic. But um, mm. honestly, I just think it's brilliant because he's, he's not this really confident sort of like sex pot of a man. But, um, <laughs> but he's, he's been one of the most most lovely people to, to get to know when I was writing the book. They want to let the side down with a brigadier as a guest. You don't take to him, do you? Too much like a head boy. And here speaks one who was publicly expelled. And before you ask, it was something to do with a chambermaid. Mm, how delicious. It was, rather. Hmm. Ah, oh, well. As for our little enigma, though I says it as shouldn't, Ah, Dorothy will be going out in some style. Did you see anything different in it that you got from this time to when you you did the piece for Around the Archives? I have... uh, Strangely enough, I listened to that this morning. Ah. (laughs) Just to check what I thought three years ago or two years ago. I think it's difficult to watch it in chunks. You know, I I think... I'm I'm not... I I feel that the ongoing story, I think you do need you need to see all of it really yeah um it's it's difficult to, to actually take a, a piece out of it i mean i had you know this morning to get myself back into my tenko place i struggle with a lot of the television i watch especially the television i watch for things like this is that they very quickly can completely vanish from my mind mm. uh, and i can't remember a thing about them once i've written the article or once i've had the conversation yeah. Uh, so actually, coming I, coming back to Tenko after because it was probably two years ago when I watched all of it through. Yeah. Uh, it was I very quickly back into it, but it's 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 difficult for me. I, I I had to remind myself where the story had got us to that point, where it went from there, and you know it had to join those dots. Mm. But but of course for me this is like it's all locked in completely because I've seen it probably at least yes. twenty times, and I I know well, how people are going to. People that, well, I didn't. I didn't have to, but I wanted to. And it, no, I mean to write I, the book. You, yeah, but even before to. I wrote the book, I probably watched right. it that many times. <laughs> <laughs> and like you were saying about, it, it's difficult to to dip into. I absolutely agree because mm. because it's so well crafted. It flows mm. so well, and thematically, mm. writing the book, discovering how the themes flowed into each other, and how things were signposted, and how things related back, the layering was just staggering. And 
you know it's just not there in so many other series and that comes of having this fluidity of the writing between Jill and Anne but also Lavinia they worked with her closely and and that all working so well and then you've got the fluidity of the actors as well who who play off each other who understand each other who start to know how other people are going to play a scene and they respond in kind and it's it's I mean staggering performances as we've said of so many of them and I should say we have after this episode um three interviews for you to listen to um with Veronica Roberts who played Dorothy with Claire Oberman who played Kate and Louise Jameson who played Blanche I know Mm. exciting and we're holding over an interview with Lavinia Warner the creator for our Tenko reunion episode um which will come out on Boxing Day but um yes enjoy <laughs> well, I will, cause I, cause I, <laughs> I haven't heard them <laughs> i wasn't even there wasn't even in the room yes but you do the intro so beautifully martin <laughs> right so anything more I think we've been quite forensic. If anything crosses your mind, we luckily have another bite of the old Tenko cherry. So, we do. Um, so we'll give it another whirl. And we'll get to do, you know, it's it's almost two hours, that one. So we'll get be able to get under the skin of it. And it's a it's a mm. lovely wrap up to the whole franchise. Mm. So, so thanks for tuning in, everyone. And we'll be with you in two weeks time during Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Um, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. been listening to an A to Z of UK TV drama. Next time, Tenko Reunion.